Hey, it's Craig Otten here at the Maritime Gardening Podcast, episode 58, brought to you by Vessi Seeds and Safer's Gardening Products. Hey everyone, uh, it's uh, around the end of March, March 28th as I record today. This should be up on the weekend on Saturday. Uh, I've got uh, some things growing in my garden, a quick report, I've got some under the cold frames and the hoop houses and all those different if you've been watching the videos uh, I've got some spinach, kale, onions, uh, lettuce and Swiss chard I don't think I've seen the chard up yet but the lettuce is certainly up I also have corn mosh, I'm write that down, corn mosh which I think is up as well if I get some decent sun for filming this weekend I'll do some footage and uh, maybe do a little update and see what's going on with that I've done a lot of videos this uh, over the winter if you haven't been uh, following those uh, just on the sorts of things you do when you can't garden. <laughs> uh, I did a number very recently on how to build implements to put in your garden to heat up the soil. Cold frames, hoop houses, even like uh, just rectangles with plastic on them. Anything you can uh, slap together that's going to allow the sun to get through and allow the, uh, the wind and the uh, the ambient temperature that's near your soil to be greater than the actual temperature out in the air. So you can have it like a day. Today today was a slightly overcast. So even though it was probably uh, 5 or 6 or 7 degrees Celsius, uh, plus, plus 6, plus 7 degrees Celsius today, but there wasn't a lot of sun. So I don't imagine that under the plastic in my garden it was much more than 7 or 8 degrees Celsius. Um, which is still okay because if you're trying to grow something like spinach, uh, certain plants like that, they've got a very low germination temperature. They'll germinate very slowly. I mean, they, they prefer something more like 16 degrees, degrees Celsius. To tell you the truth, I would prefer in this this part of the world, when it's warmer and during the winter, in the winter months, uh, I know we're in the spring now, but it's still it's still snow everywhere. It's still very winter-like. It's still cold. It's not the uh, the overcast days tend to be warm. But from a gardening under plastic or under glass point of view, they're kind of useless days because there's no sun. Right? In the winter, you want sun. The sun is what heats your cold frame, heats your hoop house or whatever sort of thing you've got going on. So you want that sun. So I would prefer a day where it's minus 5 or even minus 10 degrees Celsius if it's sunny because I know on a day like that, in my cold frame, it might get up to 20 or 25 if it's sunny enough. Uh, anyway, just a quick update on that. What I'm going to talk about today, I'm going to talk a little bit uh, briefly about my new uh, sponsor, Safer's Gardening Products. I alluded to this last, uh, uh, the last recording. I'm just going to talk about what they're all about and why I sought them out as a sponsor. And they're the only other sponsor I sought out this year, so this is the last sponsor video or last sponsor podcast I'm going to uh, have. Uh, but then I'm going to also talk about certain kinds of pests in your garden that really I don't think are a big problem and why they're beneficial in certain regards and, and these are things that people often talk about as being a problem that I you know there's one of those things where people will say oh I got these and they're doing all this damage and uh, I just don't believe them so I'm going to talk about uh, misperceptions about certain kinds of pests or, or problem animals in your garden let's say and how uh, and in certain regards they can be very beneficial and just some general notions about the concept of beneficials in permaculture. I think there's a bit of confusion about that, about some some a particular animal being beneficial. It implies that it's only good. 
uh, and animals really don't care about your garden. <laughs> That's not their, you know, they're not employees. Uh, I think we tend to uh, over uh, overestimate or misunderstand the role of what we call beneficials in a garden. They're beneficial because sometimes they're beneficial. Anyway, I'm going to talk about more about that a bit later on. So first, let's talk about uh, my new sponsor, Savers Gardening Products. Uh, let's start off right off the bat with th what they're giving to you. Um, they've uh, identified a coupon code that is available to uh, all my listeners. Um, if you go to their website, there's two websites. There's one. I know most of my listeners are either Canadian or American. So uh, if you're a Canadian, you go to uh, woodstreambrands.ca, all one word. And if you're in, buying from the States, it's saferbrand.com. Anyway, I'll put this in the description uh, in a little bit of write-up there, just um, so you can uh, copy that, just in case you want to be sure. But if you buy um, a uh, Safer's product or a chem-free product, these are all various products for problems in your garden, whether it's a pest or a fungus or a moss or uh, there's a broad range of solutions they have to problems like that. Um, whether it's Safer's or chem-free, it's another brand that they sell. You get 15% off, and all you have to do is type the word Maritime, M-A-R-I-T-I-M-E, Maritime in the uh, box where the coupon code is supposed to go, and you get 15% off. So that's that's pretty good. Uh, if you live in certain provinces in Canada, that's uh, it's like having no taxes. So their line of products, uh, they were launched in the west coast of Canada, in the west coast of Canada in the early 70s, and their line of products offers alternatives to synthetics and their goal was uh, innovation while complying with uh, organic standards and they're they're keen to comply with organic standards and for our organic growing uh, conditions so for instance the the three products I used last year I, I contacted them last year I sought them out because they seemed to have I had a real problem in my garden with two things and uh, three things. I had three real problems in my garden that every hippie, you know, super organic uh, solution I tried, everything you can imagine, beer traps, baking soda, blah, 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 blah everything you could think of, um, eggshells, all this stuff, nothing would get the situation under control. Uh, so uh, I sought these guys out. And um, they gave me to try out in my garden a slug bait, uh, a product called Endol, which is like a concentrate that you mix with water and spray in your garden, and this other thing called BTK. Uh, the slug bait is, is made from uh, ferric sodium. That's the active ingredient, like 6% ferric sodium. Um, don't quote me on that, but I, I, I'm just call, recalling from memory. Uh, I could, you might want to double check that. But anyway, they use a ferric sodium, which is just iron and sodium, and this breaks down and and just sort of uh, works itself out in your soil. You don't use a lot anyway. You, you know, anyway, the slugs eat that, and then they stop eating, and they crawl down a hole somewhere, and they die. Uh, whenever it rains, that stuff breaks down and disappears. So I mean, if you've got a slug problem, you lay some of that out. They come along, they eat it. They all, you know, a whole bunch of them are wiped out in one night, and uh, you knock the population back. It doesn't get rid of all your slugs. I mean, if you kept throwing it down all the time, it probably would. But <clears throat> personally, I want the slugs around because they attract the things that eat slugs and your, your long-term goal if you're a permaculture gardener is get some sort of balance in your garden where you've got uh, some problem things some solution things and everything just sort of keeps itself in check and you've got that right balance but if you're in a situation like I was we're not there 
Um, you can just sit back and wait for it to happen. And it might happen. I don't know. But I tried that. 2015, I, I had the first real problem. I'd never had real pest problems in my garden in my life. 2015, I started having problems with slugs. And uh, what was the other thing? White fly, cabbage moths. And I just sat back and said, well, it'll all just sort itself out. And it didn't. It just destroyed my garden. <laughs> there was an imbalance, right? And I'm sure if I kept planting and year after year after year, eventually uh, some things would move in that sort out the uh, problem insects eventually. But uh, I don't want to wait. I don't want to plant a garden for three years waiting for something like that to happen. Uh, I don't mind moving in and just uh, wiping out a bit of that pest problem uh, population uh, in the meantime. If I can spend 20 bucks and have a garden that gives me $500 worth of food in a given season, that makes way more sense to me. Especially if the, the products that I'm using to get that pest population under control are benign to an extent that I'm comfortable with. Right? They're not toxic. They break down into things that uh, just work themselves out in the soil. Uh, the slug baits, ferric sodium, iron and sodium. So those things will... You know, some of your plants need iron, right? So it's not such a big deal. Um, the endol is uh, the main active ingredient in that is py pyrethrin, which is a uh, toxin, neurotoxin, as I understand it, that comes from uh, uh, plants like chrysanthemums. It's derived from them. Um, so that's going to break down and be fine. And, and, and a lot of these things like the, uh, the endol, it's only really active for a day or so, and then it just doesn't do anything anymore, right? Almost all the products I, uh, that, uh, from what I've seen that they offer, uh, they work for a day or even less, right? The other one I use, the, uh, the, the uh, bacteria that takes out the cabbage moths, which if you have them in your garden, they're a real problem. You might be growing kale for years and you don't have any problems. Then one year you notice these really really well camouflaged caterpillars all over your kale you're going to keep getting them over and over again you're going to set up shop on your property and people will say oh just pick them off and that sort of stuff and maybe if you've got two or three kale plants you can but if you're like me and you've got you know 20 30 40 kale plants or you know, a whole bunch of different things from that family you can't stay on top of picking them off i mean that'd be a full-time job um and i already, I already have a full-time job right so uh, you know this here uh, btk stuff it's a naturally occurring bacteria um, when you mix up a batch, it only it only lasts for about 12 hours, and even if you just leave it in the jar, it breaks down and stops becoming it, it start, loses its, its potency. It's a bacteria that's present in the soil. Um, you just buy a little bottle of concentrate. I don't know what it costs, 15, 20 bucks or something like that. One little bottle. They gave me two bottles of this last year. I might have used a quarter of one of the bottles, and uh, it completely saved my kale crop. Lots of kale. I'm still eating kale out of my garden. That's how much I was able to put down in the freezer. I got one cake of frozen kale left. Uh, so uh, anyway, that stuff works really great. Um, and it's very pest specific. So those are the kind of products. They have a broad range of other products. If you go on my YouTube channel, you can see an unboxing video. They sent me a whole bunch of stuff this year. They're incredibly generous with me. And uh, more stuff than I could possibly use. I guess to that effect... Uh, they're going to do a, a promotional giveaway with me this year. I know some people have written me and said, aren't you doing any giveaways this year? So Safers, it was their idea to do a kind of giveaway. I haven't figured out all the details yet, but I'm going to be announcing that very soon. I'm going to announce it on my YouTube channel uh, so I can explain uh, what you have to do to win and what you win. And I think 
I think what you're going to win basically is all the things they gave me last year because I'm extremely comfortable giving away and recommending the things I actually use, right? Those are the things I use. Slug bait, the end all, and the BTK. Um, so it'll be a kit like that which, with all those things in it. Um, so stay tuned and just uh, keep an eye on the uh, Facebook page and the YouTube channel for details on that. An opportunity to win uh, a group of those products. All of those things will last multiple years. So the bottle of concentrate, the slug bait, and the BTK that I got last year, I might have used a quarter or a third of what I got. So what I, what you're going to win, if you have a garden my size, 2,500 square feet, right? uh, this gift pack will be enough for you to keep that under control for at least three years. That's not bad. So um, I think that's all I need to say about uh, Safers. They have a, a coupon code in their time. Um, one last thing is that their their goal is to have all of their products have an OMRI listing by the end of 2018. O-M-R-I. That's the Organic Materials Review Institute. Um, and this is a, uh, a third-party organization that are creating a list of organic products that are safe to use if you are trying to uh, grow your food in an organic way. So that's that's their goal to provide a list. You can, if you're thinking of buying something, you look is it on the list? If it's on the list, um, it means that it's it's gone through a very rigorous uh, process of tests to to prove that the inputs are not going to toxify your soil or you know are, are going to be within some sort of acceptable limit in that, in that regard. So uh, for me, that's that's fine. And again, you use these things when you need them. Um, I'm not out there spraying down my garden every week. When I see a problem, I go at it, and then I have a look. If the problem seems to be uh, under control, I mean, the best approach to be on gardener is to be somewhat lazy. There's, there's times when you need to have energy, but there's other times when it's very beneficial to, to uh, be a bit lazy. So you, you see a problem occurring, you got too many slugs, or you got too many white flies, or you got too many... Uh, uh, you know, what's the other thing? Flea beetle damage. You get a lot of flea beetle damage, especially for, for whatever reason on my location here. When I have a flea beetle problem, it tends to be the worst problem I have with flea beetles is early in the season when I got teeny tiny seedlings. Um, and they will, it'll look like someone just took a shotgun to your seedlings and it weakened them so much that the, it either completely compromises the plant or it greatly slows down the development of the plant. So that's when I, need to attack them. I use the end all for flea beetles and that seems to knock them back enough that the, the plant can get a, a good good uh, a good foothold. Once the plants are big and strong I don't bother uh, dealing with flea beetles. They're, whatever damage they're doing it's, it's imperceptible to the plant um, partly because I've knocked the population back but they're still around because they come back the next year but also just because the plant is big enough and strong enough that it can sort of withstand a bit of Biting and <laughs> I can take a couple little holes, right? Same with the slugs and all that stuff. Once you're, uh, for some reason in my garden, kale seems to be the, the most attacked thing I grow. A lot of things I grow, there's no problems. I don't have any problem with my tomatoes or my squash or my Swiss chard or my lettuce. There's all kinds of spinach. A lot of things I grow, I don't have any problems at all. The most pest, uh, most pest laden problem uh, thing I grow in my garden is kale. I don't know why, but 
every pest I have is basically a kale pest. Everything else, really, I don't have any problems with. Like, uh, the, the odd sort of, uh, if I leave my potatoes in the ground too long, um, they might, some of them get holes bored in them. I don't, I'm not exactly sure what's doing that, but it, it's not all of them. It might be 10%, and that's only if I leave them in. Like I let the plant completely die, and I just leave them there for a month or longer after the plant has died. I'm pretty sure if I take them out sooner than that, I won't have those problems. Uh, but even then, it's a relatively small proportion. So, yeah, check that out. Check out the uh, uh, coupon code. If, you, if you've had problems with those things and you've tried everything, you've tried the eggshells and the copper wire and the beer trap and the, this thing and, you know, putting borax and you've tried all of those things and it's really not working for you and you're losing entire crops, things are disappearing, uh, this might be what you need. Um, worth a try. Certainly, what's the argument? Uh, it's easy to make. Uh, you might not want to spend five or ten or fifteen or twenty dollars on some product at the beginning of the season, but at the end of the season, when you didn't get anything <laughs> because pests took everything away, you would have gladly spent a few dollars to have prevented that problem. So, remainder of the show, I get some time left here. What I'm going to talk about is the things that people think are pests that really aren't pests, or at least in my experience, and I'm sure there's going to be people that might disagree with me. I certainly have neighbors that will say to the contrary, will swear to the contrary, but boy, I've been gardening for a long time, and by the way, my garden is right next to my neighbor's gardens, so <laughs> you know, if, if I've got a problem, they're going to have a problem, and so on and so forth. Um, I'm going to talk about birds, ants, and um, the whole snake rodent thing as well. Um, so let's start with birds here. I've heard people say that, oh, the birds ate all my spinach, the birds ate all my peas, um, the birds ate this, the birds ate that. Um, and we're talking seedlings here. Uh, the birds are not, for the most part, and I'm talking, I'm, I'm speaking from a person living in, uh, you know, the, the temperate north Canadian climate here, so um, perhaps in other parts of the world this may not may or may not be the case um, but you know birds are not herbivores they don't eat greens they don't have that sort of stomach right they they eat seeds they eat insects they eat fruit those are the things they like to eat and in the spring they're looking for the kinds of things they're used to finding when they fly over your your garden they're looking for the things they're looking for everywhere else they're looking for insects. That's really all there is. They might be able to nose around and find some seeds because the previous fall, different plants, the seeds fell to the ground over the course of the winter. So they might be rooting around for seeds. But the big payoff for most of them, and remember, many of these birds are have young or they're trying to get, they're, they're pregnant, they're going to lay eggs. They need to build up a lot of energy and a lot of fat really fast because they've got uh, situation, right? They've got a brood of eggs, they've got a brood of babies, they've got to feed them. They need uh, high payoff foods. They're looking for meat, right? They're looking for snails, slugs, insects, and worms, right? Um, sure, they're going to take some of your worms, but they're also taking your, your snails and your slugs and other, other kinds of things like that. Whatever uh, tastes good to them that they can identify and see or, or find through rooting around, uh, I've heard people say that they're all oh, the birds ate my 
my peas. I saw them out there doing it. I would say that there was probably slugs or some other pest where your peas are. And they were uh, interesting to see what kind of comments they get from this podcast. But I would say that those birds were probably sorting out some pest that you have that was near that plant. And the pest was the thing that took out that plant. Or if you live somewhere that's uh, semi-rural or whatever and you haven't got a proper fence, I'd say it probably wasn't the birds eating your peas. It was probably deer or rabbits or some other uh, actual herbivore that has the kind of stomach that likes greens. When you go to a store to buy bird food, you don't buy a bag of spinach. You don't buy a bag of pea greens, right? You, you buy seeds, right? You buy dried fruit. You buy fat, right? That suet stuff. That's what they're after. Some of them are carry-on birds. You look at those whiskey jack and bluebirds. They see a dead, dead deer in the woods. They go, they peck away, right? They're, they like the fat. They like that sort of stuff. They're opportunists. Um, but for them, uh, seeing a, a bit of uh, green vegetation growing in a garden is not an opportunity. There's not a lot there for them. There's not a lot to gain from that. They don't have the kind of stomach that can get uh, proper nutrition out of that. They're looking for insects. Or seeds or fruit right they might be a problem in your garden later in the summer when your berries are starting to appear here for me I am you know I don't pick my it seems like your grapes and I think a lot of people that grow grapes find this you watch your grapes ripen 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 you try them getting close to that period of time when the grapes are ready you try one one day off oh, they're still better they're not ready yet you try them the next day oh they're still better they're not ready and uh, you keep trying them every day, and then maybe, uh, let's say it's a week, and you try them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Maybe Thursday, you say, oh, so close. And then uh, Friday, Saturday, you forget to try them, and then you go out to your garden on Sunday, and say, oh, I should try those grapes again. And you look at the grapes, and they're all gone. Because <laughs> some, you know, within that, that three-day span, remember, the birds are out there, too, so they're tasting them, too. Oh, not ready yet, not ready. When they're ready, they'll just come down in a flock. I, when I lived in the valley, starlings used to take up my grapes and Oh, an hour. <laughs> it all just disappeared. Uh, that's just part of it. you got to put a net over them for that. And so they are a problem for things. They like fruit. Right? They like any any fruit that's the size that they can put in their beak. Right? The, the birds are going to get at that. But for the most part, I don't find their problem. Even like I might see the odd hole in my strawberry. I'll go to pick strawberries and I'll see a hole in the strawberry. Uh, I think, why would the bird not eat the whole stra strawberry? Why did they make a hole? There's probably a slug or some insect on the strawberry, and that's what they're after. Well, some birds do eat strawberries. I've seen it. Um, but anyway, that's my take on birds. I don't think they're a problem. I've never... There's birds everywhere. If you watch my YouTube videos, you can always hear... You can always hear birds in the background. There's every kind of bird you can imagine, from eagles all the way down. They're always with me out there. Uh, little teeny tiny birds, little... Uh, finch type birds all the way up. I got the whiskey jack, I got the sparrows, I got all kinds of chickadees, all kinds of beautiful birds out there all the time. And uh, I don't see that they do any damn, any real damage. And for that matter, there was a season where I put a uh, scarecrow up and all the thing did was scare the hell out of me. Every time I turn around, I'd see this giant man in my garden and I'd just about die. I don't think it scared the birds at all. Um, I didn't notice any effect. I put them around my, right in the middle of where my strawberries are. No effect on the strawberries. And a net saved the strawberries. 
on a nice fine, the finest net you can get. Put that over your strawberries if you want to save your strawberries. You know, something that'll let the light through but keep the birds out. That's how you save strawberries. All right, that's birds. Now, this is another topic, and, and this is, if you go to any garden center, you see all kinds of products that are there to deal with this pest. Ants, right? Um, I'm always amazed at garden centers. The only ants I go to war with in my existence, right, in my world, is ants that I find in my house. I don't want them in my house. I don't want them uh, creating nests in my house. I don't want them connect, creating nests in my home. I don't, just don't want them in my house. Right? And I don't want to lose property value. And they can they can really set up shop and do a lot of damage in house. We don't in, in Canada for the most part. At least uh, I hope I'm, I, I can't speak for all of Canada. Certainly, this part of the world we don't have termites. Termites aren't a problem. We don't have that problem that a lot of people have in the United States. I don't. That must be horrendous. We don't have termites here. Um, maybe there are somewhere in Canada, but we sure, certainly don't have them here. It's not a problem. Uh, but we do have ants, and you don't want those in your house. So I've bought poisons and toxins and things like that for ants. Um, probably very, very toxic and not, not, uh, you know, not environmentally friendly, uh, poisons at all. Um, the, uh, Safers actually has a, a product line for ants that's, uh, I think it's just diatomaceous earth, uh, or some sort of diatomaceous, uh, substance that's really bad for them, but doesn't bother anything other than, you know, um, insects like that. So I might try using that around the house this year. Uh, certainly it's more, uh, less, uh, uh stressful to use something like that when you've got young children around instead of trying to keep the children out of the poison <laughs> that you've laid about uh, but i don't really in a garden i've never found them to be a problem uh, never I, I don't understand why people would want to control ants in a garden i, I just don't get it um, i would say generally their function in a garden is generally beneficial in fact um, what are they doing most of the time? They're, they're industrious, right? They're digging, they're tunneling, um, and uh, they're, they're creating tunnels in the ground to get around, right? They don't generally move around on the surface they because everything will eat them. An ant that likes walking around outside is going to be bird food <laughs> or some, something else. A toad's going to get it or a frog's going to get it or a salamander's going to get it. Uh, if you live in the States, a lizard's going to get it of some kind. If you're in a southern place. Um, so they're subterranean right and they're always moving materials around so they're creating tunnels and those tunnels allow moisture to get down to the roots of your plant they allow air to get down into your soil and they also create those tunnels create pathways that your your roots can move along right the whole notion of no-till gardening of permaculture is that you work with nature and so you don't have to do so much work ants all they do is work. <laughs> they just work until they're dead. Uh, so they do a lot of work in your garden. They're moving around materials and they're aerating your soil. And that means you don't have to fire the rototiller up and burn gasoline and deal with that sort of stuff. Um, even some ants are predatory. So they may even feed on certain insects in your garden that may be uh, problematic. So that can be good. Um, ants also can pollinate your plants. Uh, if you've got anything with flowers, I always see the ants around my the zucchini and stuff like that. They like nectar. So um, they're related to bees and, and wasps, and they're the same, same uh, I can't remember, phylum or family or genus or whatever, but they're, they're related along that line somewhere. Um, so they pollinate your plants just from mucking around and trying to find nectar and going from flower to flower. And they're also in those flowers looking for other things they can, <laughs> they're predatory, looking for things they can feed on. So uh, 
they're very beneficial in that sense. Uh, the only thing they can do that can be a problem that I'm aware of in a garden is that they tend to, uh, they have an affinity for aphids. They, they, they have a way of harvesting a kind of nectar from aphids. And so if you get an aphid population in your garden, the ants will tend to uh, look after the aphids, protect them from uh, other predators, and uh, just do everything they can to propagate and keep the aphids happy. So that's a problem. So, But that doesn't mean the ants are the problem. The aphids are the problem. If you see aphids on your garden and get some endol or some soapy water or whatever, there's lots of different approaches to aphids and, and get rid of them right away. And then the ants will just go back to doing the other things they do with it, which are all beneficial. In fact, in a sense, the ants are the best indicator of aphids. Aphids are very uh, well camouflaged. They tend to be the color of the plants they're on, <laughs> so they're hard to see sometimes unless you're really looking. But what really stands out in a plant is a couple dozen ants halfway up a stem where they don't belong. Right? If you see a pile of ants on a plant somewhere, and they're probably not attacking that plant. They're probably interested in something that's on that plant that's probably a problem. So the ants are almost like a an indicator to you. Right? You see a pile of ants somewhere on a plant. If they're not on the ground, if they're up on your plant somewhere and they're in a cluster or a large group, you see a lot of ants on a plant. Um, they're either sorting out a problem for you, you just leave them alone and deal with it. I've, I've actually uh, done that before. Or there's aphids on your plant and they're getting along with the aphids, protecting them, and they're in some sort of symbiosis. And in that case, you you got to go to war with your aphids because the uh, ants will do everything they can to keep them around. Kind of like the way human beings look after bees, right? We like bees because we like honey. Ants like aphids because they like aphid nectar. It's very similar in that sense. So, and we protect bees, right? If you've got a bee colony, if you're a beekeeper and there's something attacking your bees, you get rid of it So, because you want your bees to make more honey for you. Uh, so finally, uh, and this isn't a thing people think of as a pest in particular, but some people don't like the presence of them in their garden. And uh, I think there's nothing more wonderful to see in your garden uh, in terms of your overall ecosystem, the health ecosystem in your garden, and that's snakes, garter snakes, and grass snakes too, but garter snakes. You think about it in a sense, that's the apex predator, right? That is uh, something that goes around in your gardens, you're really not worried about being attacked by too many different things, and it's going to sort out various rodents, and um, it's going to sort out your snails, it's going to sort out slugs, it's going to also eat amphibians, I mean you want amphibians or garden but it's, you know, snakes are opportunists. So they're, going to eat, they're also going to eat worms. You want worms. If you've got snakes, they come across the worm, they're going to eat it. Um, but they'll also sort out your rodents. Your rodents aren't always a problem. I've got some moles in my garden. People always say, oh, you use all that uh, hay. You must have a lot of moles and mice. Yeah. I'm, I might have the odd mice see moles in my garden. I was out in my garden the other day, and I saw one running across a pile of snow from one of my boxes but for the most part something like a mole they eat insects they eat grubs and worms so if you have a mole in your garden it's probably because you have grubs in your garden I mean yeah they're gonna eat the worms too but they're not gonna eat all your worms while they're eating your worms they're gonna eat grubs and you don't want <laughs> I can't think of too many grub, grubs that show up in a garden that, that end up being beneficial things so I'm sure there are some so don't 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 go into a Twitter war with me here on this but you, you, they're not a real big problem and 
the point about having all of these different things in your garden is that if you've got a balance of these different sort of uh, organisms in your garden, they'll keep each other in check, right? If you've got a certain number of garter snakes, you're not going to have too many moles. You're not going to have too many snails. You're not going to have too many uh, slugs. You're not going to have too many of anything, right? Whenever there's an overabundance of anything, these different uh, organisms and animals are going to go after that thing until it's gone. If there's an overabundance of something, that's the easier meal to be found. Everything's just trying to survive, so they're going to go for the easy meal until it's no longer easy, and then they're just going to go back to finding whatever they can. So if there's an overabundance of slugs, it means there's an easy meal in your garden. You're going to go for that until uh, you know that gets hard to do, and then they'll just go back to doing you know their opportunistic sort of thing. And that brings me to my final point, the concept of allies in the permaculture garden. Um, it's a mixed bag. We, we use the term allies. We've applied that category to them, or, or gardeners or permaculture gurus have applied that category to certain things, like snakes, like birds, like different kinds of insects that uh, attack pest insects. But the allies, it's not like World War II where, like, you know, the United States and Canada were joined Britain and France, right? It's not like that. Uh, they don't know you're, they're your allies, right? The snakes don't know they're your allies. They don't care about you. Uh, the ants don't know they're your ally. The birds don't know. They don't care about your garden. They don't care about you. They care about what they're doing, right? They're allies only in the sense that sometimes they attack things that you don't like, right? Um, why that's good is that if you've got a real problem, if you've got a really good ecosystem going on in the garden, you've got a good balance of uh, beneficials and so on, if there's an overabundance of something, they're going to go after that thing because it's easy pickings. So they're allies in the sense that if you have an overabundance of a little bit too much of a particular pest, that's an easy meal. They're going to deal with it for you because they like easy meals just like you do, right? If there was an overabundance of pie in my house, <laughs> right? <laughs> if I spent a week, if my wife went away and took the kids with her and she left uh, nothing in the fridge except three pies, it's, let's say there's lots of food in the freezer and there's lots of uh, rice and beans and things I can make, but I, everything, I have to cook all my own meals, but there's three pies in the freezer. You better believe all three of those pies are going to be gone when she gets home. Because <laughs> that's the easy meal, right? <laughs> so uh, there's no pie in your garden, but from a garter snake or a bird's point of view, a slug is a pie, right? Because remember, they're in a survival mode. They live in a survival existence. Uh, anything that's easy is better than something that's hard. When you live outdoors and you're foraging for food, and you're competing with other things for that food, and there's a, only so much uh, to be found within a, your normal range of what you can find. So I think I just wanted to point that out that they're allies, but remember, they're, they're, they don't know you're their allies. They haven't signed a contract. They don't have a work description or you know a statement of work or anything like that. They don't know that they're your allies. They're just around, right? So. They might help you, they might not. Right? The snakes are going to eat your earthworms. <laughs> Even, you know, while they're looking for other things, while they're 
while they're sorting out your slugs, while they're sorting out your snails and sorting out your moles, uh, they're going to eat your earthworm. While your moles are eating your, your grubs, they're also going to eat your earthworms. But they're not going to get all of them. Right? All that sort of stuff. While the birds are looking for slugs and insects, if they see an earthworm, they're going to eat it. So they're not pure ally. They're, you don't want anything eating your worms, right? But you want the birds to be healthy, and that's just how it works, right? So I hope that uh, I hope that was a good talk. I hope that gave you some food for thought and gave you some ideas uh, uh, for uh, how to uh, go about getting the most out of your garden this year. And uh, I, I certainly hope you uh, think about uh, trying out some of those uh, those products if that interests you at all. Um, the uh, coupon code will give you a deal anyway. And uh, keep your eyes open for the uh, the promo uh, giveaway that I'll be announcing on my YouTube channel shortly, probably in the next week or so. Alright, so uh, I really want to thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. Until next time, get out there, get at it, have fun in your garden. Thanks for listening. <laughs>